Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson. I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. We are just finishing up our fall break. And Kurt, I understand that you had a joyous yet traumatic event happen to you. <laughs> joyous, traumatic. I tell you, every emotion in the book, yes, my oldest daughter just got engaged, of all things. So yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if anybody's been through that, but a lot of different emotions there. And uh, I'll say congratulations. But, you know, as a father, you go through all these different things. Yes, good, bad, letting go. Hey, he's a good guy. I can't complain. But still a weird, strange, different, good thing that happened this week. How's <laughs> <laughs> that with my tone of voice, my verbal package? No, it's a good thing. I just got to wrap my head around it. I, for some reason, it's much harder for me than my wife. She's already doing wedding plans. Here's the kicker. They think they want to do it Thanksgiving in a month or so, which is like, what? What? But anyway. These kids exactly. are crazy, man. I know. I know. I'm like, whatever. Do what you need to do. <laughs> I might show up. Let me check my schedule. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty short fuse on that one. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be cooking a turkey this year. That's my favorite thing, cooking a turkey just for the sandwiches. But, you know, we'll see what happens. They say there are two things that every father needs to tell the new son-in-law. Number one, I don't mind going back to prison. <laughs> and number two, anything you do to her, I'd reserve the right to do to you. Yeah, I was going to call <laughs> you to get to borrow one of your guns to, you know, polish while we had that talk. <laughs> I don't have any guns. I don't know what you're oh, talking okay. about. Okay, that's right. You don't have any guns. All right. Anyway, your slingshot mm -hmm. <laughs> to uh, build a little threatening. And, you know, dad's always intimidating. And I wasn't as easy as I probably should have been. But we got through it, and it was good, and I'll be happy. I can see you giving him crap just to do it. <laughs> yeah, there was a little of that. <laughs> a little of that. You, but, but I think that's the rite of passage, because I got it, too. When I asked my wife's father for her hand in marriage, I got the crap, too. So I think you just kind of... It's like teasing growing up. you got to find someone to tease. It's one of the rite of passages. Yeah, it's kind of like hazing a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's the father's right to haze to make sure that they're going to treat their daughter right. <laughs> make sure you're really serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You're still going to go through this even though I might be a jerk? Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Let me show you what you're really going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My father-in-law was super easy. I, you know, I took him to Sizzler, and he was just super nice, and that was it. And if you oh, know him, me taking him to Sizzler is funny. I didn't even get any food out of this. Well, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go back. You have a right of rescission on this deal? I better tell. Well, isn't that the law? Three day right of rescission? I think that's federal law, no matter what that's state right. you're in. There we go. I'm on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh boy. So but I'm not doing Sizzler. I'm gonna do Ruth Chris. I want something a little, something really good. They're really good. Well, yeah, he's a college kid. Yes. Well, I'm worth it. <laughs> yeah, you're worth it. But a hundred bucks to a college kid is like ten thousand dollars to normal people. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, you're gonna. I don't like your chances. Maybe in ten, twenty years, he'll take you to Ruth's Chris. I'll just get a coupon for it. I'll cash it in in a few years. <laughs> All right, do it. Yeah, an <laughs> IOU, Ruth's Chris. That's right, a little IOU. <laughs> well, cool. Congratulations. I know it's a an emotionally confusing time of joy and anger. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I hope you make it through okay, and I, I hope you're cooking a turkey on Thanksgiving and not standing in the reception line. I do, too. I'll, I'll be a void in my life if I don't get myself a couple turkey sandwiches and some football, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, we will see. We always do. How about them Cowboys while we're talking about football? I just alienated most of our audience. <laughs> yeah, not that I'm a Cowboy fan, but they, they were expected to do nothing, not to 
offend our Cowboy fans, but man, they've come through. And then the Seahawks were expected to do everything, have done nothing. And, you know, living in Pittsburgh, being a Steeler fan, they've, they haven't lived up to expectations either. So it's been a strange year, both college and NFL. Yeah, it's been a strange year. You just don't know what you're going to get. It's a lot, a lot of parody, you know. Some teams that just came out of nowhere and other teams with all the expectations in the world, like you said. So, uh, yeah, you do sometimes wonder, why do I watch this? Why do I put up with this? <laughs> Maybe I'm taking it too seriously. Well, the whole emotional commitment that people have to their teams is a whole new study, and it's amazing that connection people have. And we've talked about this before. That we won, we won, versus they lost, they lost. How we want to be part of the winning team, but if they lose, we start to distance ourselves. And it's just a whole interesting science what sports teams do. I know living in Pittsburgh and the Steelers, that work productivity plummeted the Monday after a loss. I mean, the psychological damage and things that happen just amazing with sports. It is. It is, yeah. My college team was predicted to do amazing things this year, and they've been, uh, well, it's, we're halfway through. They've been a flop. They're not going to do what they were supposed to. They could still do all right, but, yeah, it, it was a big expectation adjustment. And it, it was funny, the piece in my life the other day, when I was able to come to grips with the fact, oh, they were just overrated, right? <laughs> you, you go into denial, you you struggle with that, and then when you finally accept it, you're just so much happier. <laughs> That's the thing, the expectations, especially when they're so high and the fans booing and things that are happening. I say the science behind that is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. We did uh, football. We did uh, the wedding. We haven't done food yet. I'm sure that will well, we come talked, up. We talked turkey. We're good. Yeah, we talk, okay, we talked And turkey. we offended all the non-Cowboy fans, so I think we're right on track. We offended all the 49er and Redskin fans, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I think you're not supposed to say Redskins, are you? So we just offended... Oh, that whole contingent, too. I saw you. Then you offended the the Florida State Seminoles. I mean, he's got it all. At what point do we just tell our listeners that they all suck? (laughs) Well, that will be episode 1000. Okay. (laughs) Now, I just just asked that question, listeners. I didn't overtly say that you do. We love you, and we appreciate you listening to the show. We do, we do. Don't be offended and just listen. Yeah, and listen you don't subscribe to us on iTunes. Send us your feedback to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. Listen uh, via Stitcher Radio, however you got to do it, or just go to maximizeyourinfluence.com. And guess what, Kurt? Today is the day. The day of what? You don't know day what that means? No, I don't. Oh, well, this is the day where our listeners can go to universityofpersuasion.com. That is universityofpersuasion.com. And if you like what you've been hearing on the podcast so far, if it's been a benefit to you to every week hear new persuasion, new influence techniques, or even some that may not be new but keep you fresh because this is something that you always need to do to be effective at persuasion, it's like working out. You can't just do it and be done forever. This is a regular process, right? You need to go to universityofpersuasion.com. And we have a couple of different programs, anywhere from free to $97 a month. I think we have one at 7 and one at 27 right? Does that sound okay? It is. We should know that. But uh, I do know that, and we've spent a lot of energy into this. And you can get a coaching session every month to the free session, to a 52-week program, to the archives of the podcast, to over 100 audios, over 100 videos, everything you've ever wanted to know and more about persuasion, motivation, influence, is all right there. Even millionaire psychology and mindsets all right there. 
the access that you get every month, and it's all mapped out for you. So we're really excited about it. And it's at 50% off right now for those who take action and take a look at it. And 50% of free is what? Who's done the, did you do the math on that one? 50% of free. Oh, okay, <laughs> clickety-click. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, there's a variety of options from free, I think seven all the way up to the full-blown coaching package. It's a monthly package or yearly, however you want to do it, but we're excited. Everything's there that you need to know about persuasion, motivation, influence, and it will make a huge difference in your income. For as low as seven bucks a month, and obviously I should use the course here if this is how I'm going to describe it, you could get a very mediocre bean burrito for seven dollars a month, <laughs> right? Well, I might say it's a fair to mediocre. I guess it depends where you're getting it. Hopefully they've added some meat to those beans. And I, I will guarantee you that you will get more use, more pleasure, more experience out of our program than you will a, a mediocre bean burrito. <laughs> How's that for I a guarantee? Will, that is a wonderful guarantee. I, you want to take me up on that offer? You want to, <laughs> if you go listen to the program that, that you created, so that's kind of an asterisk, and say, you know what, I think I could have gone to Taco Bell and got a burrito and been happier than I am right now, I will refund your cost of the program, Kurt. And how about I will send you a mediocre bean burrito just for trying. Snail mail, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hopefully it yeah, I all guess we'll have to put an asterisk there, not for our listeners in Iran because that would be too far. That's too far. But, yeah, all of you are going <laughs> to sign up now because, you know, worst-case scenario, in a couple of weeks a bean burrito shows up priority mail. That's right. You can <laughs> use it as a paperweight. There are a couple of things. Well, there's a lot of things that you're going to learn. You're going to learn how to have absolute confidence in what you're saying. You're going to learn how to resist persuasion so you don't fall into those unethical traps. 18 most powerful words, how to put them to use, how to create huge value to eliminate price resistance, instant action through ethical urgency. There's a ton more here. And I think that the reason that it's most valuable, Kurt, is intellectually, we know a lot of these things, but if you are not constantly exposing yourself to quality persuasion training, you fall into these old traps, these things that have been ingrained into us since our childhood about, oh, we don't talk about money and this is how we behave. Well, if you're going to be a good persuader, if you're going to be a good salesperson, you don't always behave the way that society tells you to behave. You have different habits. And the only reason that you're going to be able to break these old tired habits that make you broke or make you not have the results you want is because you're not exposing yourself to quality training on a regular basis. Exactly. And when there's over 100 tools of persuasion, you got to work on those tools to make sure you've mastered each one and know when to use each one. Plus, we've added the persuasion software that persuades for you. I've identified over 77 objections that you could get, and it gives you a response for each one and how to use it. And that's very beneficial for those who persuade and influence for a living, which would be mm, everyone. The only thing wrong with what you just said, Kurt, is that you should have used the but wait, there's more segue. <laughs> That's right. But wait, there's more. <laughs> so, yeah, go to uh, universityofpersuasion.com. Very easy to find out what you need to do there, the different options. This is everything that we've ever done and that Kurt's ever done on persuasion and influence, and we continue to add to it. We'd love to have you. If you like this podcast, if you found it useful, you're definitely going to find University of Persuasion useful. So we appreciate you going and checking it out. And let's launch into today's information. What do you think? Let's do it. Here's what millionaires have in common. A article by Newser, which I tend to like. We've given Kurt the week off on the geeky article moment. I'm going to geek out for you. But hey, I think that's useful to know. There's lots of books. There's lots of audios and things out there about what millionaires do. But this is just a very quick, straightforward article on four things 
that millionaires do. You should do that. You want your sound? Yeah, I do. Fire away. All right, here's your Urkel. (laughs) There you go, Mr. Urkel. He always used to say, did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty good. I think he also coined, I've fallen and I can't get up. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. If he didn't, then he really took it to the next level, and he kind of hijacked that one. Somebody owes him some royalties. Somebody does, yeah. (laughs) So, all right, here are four attributes. I'm doing a fake drum roll on my desk. Maybe you can hear it. About millionaires, number one, most are self-employed. Good to know, right? So your chances of becoming a millionaire go down if you're working for the man. The article says if you're making money for someone, it seems it should be you, not your boss or the owner of your company. Less than a third of all startups make it 10 years, though, so there's some risk. But on the right side, studies show that self-employed people are also more likely to be satisfied with their jobs. So you should actually tune into the podcast and subscribe to University of Persuasion to increase your odds of your self-employment working out. That's another little uh, shameless plug there. It works. Yeah. Okay. Number two, they start their business based on strategic thought. So passion is great, but they look for areas where demand is bigger than supply. That is areas where they're most likely to make money. It may sound like common sense, but in one survey, only a third of entrepreneurs say they made sure to search for a good business idea with a competitive advantage. One reason people might not tend to start businesses that are sure to be profitable, many such businesses are in areas seen as dull or normal, right? So we all want to start that sexy business that does something super cool, but a lot of times it's the guy who has the fertilizer company <laughs> or or something totally boring, but people still use it every day in the, in the septic, demands. Septic tank cleaning company, right? That's right. That's right. I saw that on Dirty Jobs the other day, a guy that uh, does sewer maintenance, and he, he makes buckets of money. Because nobody wants That's to do right. that. So. Find something nobody else wants to do. <laughs> and it, it may not sound flashy, but there's, you know, the demand outstrips the supply. So number three, you ready? They're mm-hmm. not necessarily intellectually gifted, but they work hard. Mm, okay. The average college GPA of an American millionaire is 2.9 on a 4.0 scale. Uh, consider the fact that smarter people might be less likely to engage in financially risky behavior, like starting their own business. <laughs> so you have to be stupid enough to want to take that on, I guess, right? But 94% said they learned a strong work ethic in college, and many said their teachers commended them for being dependable. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, I had an economics professor, and this was when I thought I wanted to go to law school, which I dodged a bullet there. And he, he was talking on the first day of class about how he grades on a curve. He said 20% of you are going to get A's, 20 B's, C's, D's, and so on, right? And I kind of thought, that's a ripoff. What the heck is that all about? And I raised my hand, and I actually asked the professor. I said, so you're telling me if I get like a 94% average, but I'm in a classroom full of nerds, I could get a B? And he said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. He said, mm-hmm. but it's okay, man. We all know the A students end up working for the C students anyway. <laughs> so true. I was mad at the wow. time, but now looking back, he he got it right. He got it right. That's true. Two point nine. That's right. Okay, interesting. And you know what? It is all relative. If everybody else got a ninety-five percent average and I got a ninety-four, that's the competition. That's the reality. If everybody around you is better, just because you quote unquote got a good score, we see these football games where teams are losing by one point. There really wasn't that much difference between the two teams' performance, but to the victor go the spoils. As they say, it's true. Number four, they watch their money, or as Time Magazine puts it, they're cheap. 
Half of the millionaires <laughs> surveyed never paid more than 399 bucks for a suit, and more than half never paid more than 30000 for a car. They think long and hard about how to spend their money. Good point, good point. So there you go. That's what they have in common, guys. If you want to increase your odds, you should uh, see about doing some of those things. When you think about millionaires, you hear that quite a bit to where people think what they actually do. I always think it was Brian Tracy talked about once that the one industry that created more millionaires than any other industry was dry cleaning. It's not sexy, but it's out there. Everybody needs it. If you do a little bit better, you have loyal customers. They'll keep coming back. Like we talked about septic tanks. And it also comes back. I don't know. You read the book Nail It and Scale It? I've never read that book, no. No, it's interesting. We talked about they they think about Going in, I mean, it's good to be passionate about something, but you have to think about the need because a lot of times you go into business and you think your idea is the best in the world because it's your idea, and sometimes it's not. And an interesting thing they said, I think it was based on a Harvard study, it said the businesses, the entrepreneurs that were successful had enough money to start with the second idea because <laughs> <laughs> the first one didn't pay out. It wasn't quite right. They had to adapt it. They had to adjust it, but that was the one they were passionate about at first, but they had to have enough money to adjust it, which I thought was really interesting. That is yeah, that is, like you said about dry cleaning, in my family, uh, I have a stepmom, and on her side there, uh, the family business is a mortuary. <laughs> and, it, I mean, you say you hear that, and you go, oh, like you just did. <laughs> they just absolutely kill Oh, they make bank. They, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the oh, demand yeah. is never going down <laughs> for the yeah, product. I just, I just learned the other day that you can't get out of life alive, so uh -huh. that's probably a good business to be in. Get, in, get into that business, and it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it, people are always going to die, and, and also your customers are in a very emotional state. It's just... I've trained for morticians, and when they get them away from the mortuary, they're a pretty lively bunch. <laughs> So many puns there, so many bad jokes to make. I think it's because they're so pent up from being so solemn all the time that when they get away from it, woohoo, look out. Uh -huh, that's right, <laughs> that's right. you got got to let that energy out because you've been hanging around with a not very lively crowd. Can you do a that's drum right. roll there? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go for the geeky article moment. I hope I did it proud for you, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's great information. That's all mindset, self-persuasion. That's a big thing millionaires have is – they have the ability to do things they don't want to do. Even they don't feel like doing it, they motivate themselves better than the average person. And that's what you mentioned, working hard, just making it happen. There's no other option, and that's a huge piece with that mindset. Yep, yep. So today we want to get into that second R. We took a little bit of a hiatus when we interviewed John Lee Dumas yesterday from Entrepreneur on Fire. And today we're into that second R of resistance, what psychologically is happening when people say no. And this happened to me the other day. I've got to go to Houston, Texas this weekend, Kurt, and I am teaching a workshop on real estate investing to a group of 25 investors. And part of what I've got to do is I've got to get an agent, a real estate agent on the ground in Houston to agree to go around with us and show us properties and represent these clients, right? So you think about it from an agent's perspective. Oh, wow. I get to network with 25 investors all at once. You know, usually I got to go out with one person for a full day. This seems like a no brainer, does it not? You would think. Yeah, well, one guy just says, nah, I think I'll pass. And I just, it made my head explode. <laughs> what am I missing here? What did I say? What did I not convey to this guy? Why did he resist me? And so last time we talked about reason. We didn't give the person a reason to buy or to commit to the idea. Kurt, why don't you, in dramatic fashion, introduce us to the second R of resistance? All right, so everyone, the first I remember was the reason, the what's in it for me. The second one is risk, that risk versus the reward, kind of a scale as far as, you know, is that really worth my money? 
And it's easy to buy a $20 item for $5 because there's really no risk there. The value's there. And this could be real or imagined, and it's something that we all have to take a look at. It could be not rocking the boat, cost versus the benefit, the consequences of failure, and that's what's important about this. You've got to understand that they have to part with their money, they have to part with their resources, and is there a risk there? And that is something that's important that we don't think about sometimes. It could be a mental risk, it could be a physical risk, it could be a financial risk. All these things come into play, and your job is to reduce the risk, to make it a no-brainer. And I want to give you a few ways to be able to do that, and it should be easy. Just like we've mentioned before, when I sell at a seminar, when I sell a $20 bill for $1, that's easy. That makes perfect sense. People don't have to think about it. So when you get, it's too expensive, come back later, talk to a spouse, talk to a partner, a lot of times you haven't built the value. Because when the value's there, people are ready to take action, and that's important. So your goal is to get them involved as much as possible. And the best way is using the law of involvement. Basically, that you need to involve their five senses. Get them involved mentally and physically, create the right atmosphere, because a confused mind will say no, a bored mind will say no, a mind that's too comfortable will say no. And so your job is to get them involved as much as possible, to get them to taste it, touch it, use it, feel it. And I'll give you a variety of ways to do that. One interesting study goes back to World War II. Kurt Lewin was a social psychologist hired by the government, get this, Steve, to get Americans to eat more intestinal meats. <laughs> that sounds what – what a great job, right? Exactly. And we're not talking hot dogs here. We're talking stomach, intestines. And most countries – and I've had it before. Most countries will eat it no problem because there's a lot of nutritional value. But for some reason, Americans wouldn't do it. They're shipping most of the meat overseas. And they said, okay, get back then housewives to cook this for their family. So they brought everybody in, big rah-rah session, and here, do it for the country. Here's some recipes. Here's some samples. And they were all excited about it, but then they did the research and found out that only 3% went home to cook intestinal meats for their family, which was terrible. So in phase two, they used involvement. They brought everyone in a room, again, mostly housewives back then. And they said, do we have a problem? We have a challenge. What do you think we should do? What's your idea? We need Americans need more intestinal meats. If that was your problem, how would you do that? What would you say? And what happened is during that process, it became their problem. They came up with the ideas. And of course, their ideas are the best. They persuaded themselves. It went from 3% to 32% just by letting them persuade themselves. And so anytime you get someone to participate, it makes a huge difference in reducing the risk. And that is your goal when you talk about this, you could do anything from getting them to visualize it. For example, inner city kids aren't going to college, won't go to college, won't go to college. Well, they don't know what college is. And so you send them to a college, they mirror a student for the day. Now they could see it, taste it, touch it, feel it when you say go to college, and it dramatically changed the number of kids that went to college. We've heard the famous puppy dog clothes. Remember the puppy dog clothes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've had yeah. it done on me many times. It's gold, right? No, no, don't want to see the puppy. And they said, just take it home for the weekend. If you don't like it, bring it back. Done deal. And they're doing that with cars now, higher-end cars. You bought a Cadillac three years ago. They bring, they come to your doorstep in three years and say, hey, can you do us a favor? Can you drive the new model around for a couple of weeks? Tell us what you think. Well, done, because you, you like it. Your spouse likes it. Your neighbor said something. So sometimes you have a product or service just by giving it away, whether it's a photocopy or a nutritional drink or something. Sometimes it's just easier to get it in their hands and get them to use it is one of the most persuasive things you can do to get them to participate. Just like the, oh, I don't know if you've been, Steve, you've been to the Hershey, Pennsylvania chocolate tour? Never been, never been. 
How much do you think it costs to take this tour of the factory? I'm going to say it's free. It is. They've built, they spent millions of dollars on this mock factory. It's not even real, but you're in this Disneyland type ride. They're making chocolate and you're smelling chocolate and you get off. And after that whole thing, they give you one little Hershey kiss. <laughs> and you eat it and you go down this escalator <laughs> yeah. to the biggest chocolate store in the world. They got 50-pound Hershey kisses. They've got ice cream. Anything you could ever want, I guarantee you to sell more by doing that than by just charging for the tour. So involvement. We see it with America Online, free 1,000 hours. They became the biggest. Test drives, CD clubs, all these things are part of that. Even, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Post-it notes that we all use every day when they were launched were a complete failure. Right, right. Right, complete failure. Because how do you explain it? I've never needed it before. And what is it, a staple-free po- What? And so yeah, what they yeah. did is they <laughs> got them all back, and they sent them to the secretaries of all the Fortune 500 CEOs. Taste it, touch it, use it. Maybe they're not tasting it, but you know what I'm saying. And the rest is history. And so if you can create that experience, get people involved, reduce the risk, that makes a huge issue in reducing the risk because they've already used it. They've tried it. It's benefited them. You've got them involved. I mean, you could ask your neighbor to help with the fence. They're going to say, no, no, no. But say, hey, can you get your advice? Can I get your help? Can, what would you do in the situation? You're the expert here. Goes a long way in, in really helping them out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've seen that by my house. There's a outfitter called uh, Cabela's, which many of you are probably familiar with. And if you've been to Cabela's, you know, they're famous for a couple things. They got the big giant fish tank. Right. Mm -hmm. They've got the animal exhibits from the African savanna and the mountain west and and all the stuff, stuff, uh, stuff, stuff, <laughs> all the stuffed <laughs> animals that you see the, the, the ventriloquists have, have gone to work on. And, you know, you wonder uh, at first, uh, why? Why do they do all this? Because it brings massive amounts of traffic into the store and you start envisioning, oh, well, I want to shoot that deer or I want to catch that fish or I want to do that. Right. And. And that risk starts to go away. It starts to get replaced with the anticipation of using the product. And you know the cost of maintaining those exhibits is far outweighed by the revenue that is generated from people that are just going in to see that end up in the checkout line like I do every single time. And that's part of it. They could visualize it. They see themselves using Because if your prospect can't see themselves using your product, your service, your idea, it's never going to happen. And the other thing I want to mention with this that's really important, people are so skeptical now is that you have to have them in the right mindset that they're thinking to themselves, I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. And one thing you can do to enhance that is the guarantee. And that is so important. Now, you never lead with a guarantee. But if they're sitting on the fence, just like that infomercial, you give them that 60-90-day guarantee. I've noticed that when I'm speaking from the stage, they give me 90 minutes to talk about influence and persuasion. I've got my CDs and DVDs to sell. That if I offer a great guarantee, it'll double my sales. Now, you have to take a deep breath here, entrepreneurs, because sometimes with my guarantee, I'll say, look, if I'm speaking to a group of entrepreneurs, I'll say, take it home for 90 days. If this doesn't double your income in 90 days, you keep the bonuses, and I'll give you $100 cash just for trying. Now, let me ask you this, Steve. Do you think there's any dishonest people out there that would take advantage of that? Yes, I do. <laughs> so one in every 10,000 people is dishonest, and I make that up just because it makes me feel I think good. That, I think it's more than but that. But think yeah. about it. It's probably, yeah. But if it's doubling your sales, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's very rare. Every once in a while, someone will duplicate it and love it and still send it back for that $100. There's some people, but that's very, very rare. It's a very small percent compared to doubling your sales. So you have to take a look at your guarantee and take a deep breath, and, and they've got to be thinking, I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. And when you have a good product or service and you know it's going to change your life, do that. Again, 
every once in a while someone will take advantage of it. But if it's doubling and tripling what you're doing, it is worth it for you to do that. Offering a warranty, a guarantee, whatever it is, that reduces all the risk. And if you can get your prospect to think, hey, I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose, man, that really helps in reducing the resistance. So what I think I've heard from you so far when we talk about risk and how to eliminate it from the psychological perspective of your buyers, of your clients, number one, some kind of a trial period because it takes away that fear. They're experiencing it. They see, hey, there is no risk. I'm using this and I'm enjoying it and I like it. And number two is the guarantee. It's I'm going to start using it. Yeah, I fork over the money, but if I don't like it, I can take it back. You've also, well, involvement, I guess, is a derivative of that first one of the trial period. Any other ways, any other pointers that you would give the listeners as to how to reduce or eliminate that risk altogether? Well, I mentioned asking their opinions and advice is one way to do that. But one thing you can add, too, if you really want to get people involved and engaged, I mentioned if they're not listening, you can't persuade them. If they're bored, you can't persuade them. If they're confused, you can't persuade them. I was doing an event in Santa Barbara overlooking the beach during the summer with an all-male audience. <laughs> okay. So a distracted mind will say no. We had to shut the curtains. And that's the thing, keeping them focused, keeping their attention, whether it be one-on-one -on -one or an audience. And one way to do that is, is to understand that we need to engage as many senses as possible and know that, especially when you're talking to somebody one-on-one, -on -one, they could be a visual person, an auditory person, or a kinesthetic person, you know, feeling they like to touch. And if you can peg that right away and, and adjust your presentation, it keeps them more involved. 40% tend to be visual, 20% tend to be auditory, and the other 40% tend to be kinesthetic, and you can hear it just with the way they talk. Visual people are more, did you, you see what I'm saying versus auditory? Did you hear that versus kinesthetic? Does that feel right to you? You can peg it by their word choice, and that's just a small thing to do to really understand that because if you can adapt to their perception, the way they see the world, it makes a huge difference in keeping them involved and reducing the risk. Awesome, awesome. Anything else you want to add on reducing the risk? Main thing is get them involved. Put yourself out there. Just like University of Persuasion, there's a free membership. Why? Hey, let us prove our worth. It is out there. It's doing it. It's really making people more persuasive. Get them involved. Prove your worth and get them to think I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. That's the key. Yeah. It's, it's, are they thinking that finally is I have nothing to lose by using this product and then exactly. you're in the sweet spot. Okay. Great. All right. Cue up the Homer. Homer. Do it. Don't, don't, don't. There he is. We've got a blunder today, the overbearing insurance agent. Oh, yes. isn't that a stereotype? Uh, Yeah, well, I think they're one <laughs> or the other. They're totally underwhelming or overbearing, right? Yeah, you know, that's true. There, there's really nobody in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, this guy, I have, because I'm technically self-employed, I have high deductible insurance, and I have a supplemental policy to that that is an accident policy. I have little kids all the time trying to crack their heads open and get concussions. And I don't want to go pay all that money at the doctor because I have high deductible. So we have this supplemental plan. It's like a $200 deductible for accidents. And this guy called me and said, hey, I have this great accident plan. I said, oh, great. Send me the info. I am regretting telling him to send me the info because I think I'm going to have to expand the minute plan on my cell phone. And um, we were on day five, Kurt. Three calls a day. Oh, wow. Three, I don't have time to, to look at it yet. And guess what? Now that he's been bugging me three times a day, every day, am I ever going to have the time? Nope. There's that fine line between being persistent and a royal pain in the butt. <laughs> 
How do you know that? I mean, because this guy's a royal pain in the butt. He's the blunder. He's done. How do you know if you've crossed that line or, or if you're about to? Well, obviously, he's not sensing that you're not responding. He's not sensing it to your voice last time he talked to you. I think when there's additional information to give and people are still interested in going through that process versus when you've left 10 messages or 10 emails and there's no response and nothing's happening, you've probably crossed that line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are you done? Is there anything you can do at that point? When they've crossed the line to pain in the butt? Yeah, yeah. You realize, hey, you know what? I left this guy 10 messages. He's not returning my calls, and I'm clearly a pain in the butt. Move on? Anything we can do? Uh, Yeah, I think you want to move on, and you need to have in the back of your brain, too, that maybe something's happened in their family. Something's going on. Maybe it's a bad time. And I'd keep them in your file to maybe call in a month or two and see that if their needs have been met and that you can kind of get back into the game. Because it could be that... Something's happened, something's wrong, they're busy, taxis, whatever it is, to where it just might be bad timing, and it might be worth your call two, three, four months, depending on your sales cycle. Yeah, right. Depending on the sales cycle, I found it's helpful whenever you're getting into that time where there's going to be some follow-up. They say the fortune is in the follow-up, right? I think you have to clearly define with the prospect what happens next, right? It's, I'm sending you this stuff and we're talking about it, or... You're checking on that thing, and then we're going to get back together. Whatever it is, it has to clearly be defined what is happening next. And then you need to ask for permission to follow up, right? You need to say, okay, you're going to check on such and such. Would it be all right if I gave you a call uh, in three or four days to see how that's coming and see if I can be of any assistance? You think that's a way to handle it? Absolutely, because if you're out of the blue doing the five messages a day and there's no reason to call them back, and I've got some guy doing that right to me right now, some network marketing guy just beating me up, and I haven't even met him before. Yeah. To where, wait a minute, there's no what's in it for me, you have no credibility, and it just goes downhill from there. Right. I, I think, too, when you find that pain and you present your product as a solution to the pain, too, and even as follow-up goes, you ask the person, what would you like to do now? <laughs> It's, exactly. It's, There's got to be a reason. If you're calling that many times, there can't be the same reason every time. If you have something new, something different, that also helps. That's right. That's right. I When I go to get listings for real estate, I present all the facts to the people, and I go over their questions, and I say, that that, that answer your questions? And they say, yeah, yeah. And then I just say, okay, great. What should we do now? And I just look at them. <laughs> and they sit there, and I would tell you, Kurt, nine times out of ten, they go, well, let, let, let's get started. Let's do this. No, that's great because they've done it. They've persuaded themselves, and you just move forward. There you go. So now you know if you're a pain in the butt. Now you know how to prevent it in the future. Congratulations, overbearing insurance guy, on being the blunder of the week. Big time blunder. Big time blunder. All right, Kurt, anything else to say before we wrap it up? Reduce the risk. Make it as easy as possible. Help them persuade themselves. And those tools alone will dramatically increase your income. Awesome. Everybody, thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. See you next week. 